Hello, health investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Sarah Pelk Greka. Sarah is an online weight loss coach and NASM certified trainer who helps her clients lose weight without giving up chocolate and wine. Her signature coaching program, the Freedom with Food Formula, teaches men and women the skills and habits needed to lose weight and overcome emotional eating without the extremes of fad diets. In the episode, Sarah shares many common misconceptions surrounding weight loss, her thoughts on macro counting and apps like MyFitnessPal, one thing she's changed her mind about after years of working with clients, and more. If you've been enjoying what you hear on the Health Investment Podcast, please tell a friend or family member about it. My goal is to empower as many people as possible to invest in their health so that they can look and feel their best, so I'd love to have your friends, coworkers, and family members along for the ride. I can't thank you enough for your support and help in spreading the word. Truly, it means so much to me. All right, it's time to hear from Sarah. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing. You deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing. There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm going to share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I want to help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining me on the Health Investment Podcast. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to take some time today and talk together. We were just chatting off air that you live in Michigan, and I was saying I think you are the first guest ever from Michigan, so that's exciting. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. I'm so proud to represent the Mitten State, where it is a brisk, what, 29 degrees out and snowy, so (laughs) winter has hit. Mother Nature has given us a treat. Sounds lovely. I live in Northern California, so it's quite the opposite. It's always sunny here, but yesterday it was actually rainy and cloudy and I loved it because it was a change of weather. Um, But I used to live in New York, so I understand the cloudy, cold winters and I do actually kind of miss that, but I, you're, I feel like you're not supposed to complain about it if you live in California. You're supposed to just love the sunshine and love that you never have kind of cloudy, snowy, wintry days, but I kind of have to agree with that. But also (laughs) living in Michigan, I do love the seasons as much as it's hard sometimes to love winter. It's so nice that every season kind of has its own personality. Right. Well, one of the things that I think I loved about New York was living in Manhattan. I never had to shovel snow. So I think that's a different experience. If you live in snow and you actually have to wipe off a car or shovel the snow. I don't think I would have been down for that. So yes. And it's so funny you bring that up. My husband and I actually just purchased our first home and moved in in March. So this is our first winter that we haven't rented. And you know, when you rent somewhere, they always take care of all of that for you. I mean, not cleaning your car off, but shoveling the driveways and the sidewalks. And so that's something we've had to adjust to this winter is, oh, wow you know, this is our responsibility now. Maybe we should get a snowblower. Right. Well, congratulations on getting your first home. That's exciting. Thank you. you. Yeah, I'm sure also, you know, aside from the snow, homeownership has its own challenges. So. Oh, yes. You've got a lot going on over there. (laughs) But anyway, I'd love to hear your story and specifically kind of what led you to become a weight loss coach? I think you say on Instagram for women, but then I know your programs are for women and men. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I predominantly work with women, but we do have clients that are men. And so we, we don't discriminate. We'll work with anyone that's ready to lose weight and also create a healthier relationship with food. 
Got it. Okay. So then, yeah, just what led you to become a weight loss coach to begin with? Sure. So first thing I want to share is I never thought that this is what I would be doing with my life, but at the same time, I can't imagine doing anything different. So um, I attended the University of Michigan and I actually graduated with two bachelor's degrees. One was in dance and one was in psychology. Upon graduating, I moved to Chicago where I was offered a um, spot in a training program with a professional dance company. And it was amazing. And I was on cloud nine. I mean, you know, I've been dancing since I was three years old. You know, this is a little girl's dream to actually start making it in the world of contemporary dance. Hmm. Everything was going great, although the arts are fun, are underfunded. So I, I will be honest, it was a little challenging to, you know, to make money while living in a big city while trying to dance, but I made it work. And life was amazing until I took a ski trip with a couple of friends. And unfortunately, um, we were doing some night skiing actually in Northern Michigan at the time. And I took a tumble on a patch of ice and down I fell and I ended up tearing a ligament in my left ankle. Oh my God. I remember hearing the pop and literally laying in the snow and just thinking, oh crap, like you did something bad. You know, you just know when you're like, okay, this is not just a little tiny sprain. Like this is something not great. So it ended up being a grade two sprain. So not a complete rupture of the ligaments, but a pretty hefty tear. So, you know, unfortunately, um, geez, dancing was never the same after that. I'll be honest. And I thought at the time my life was over. I mean, you know, this is something I had done for since I was three years old and what was I now 25, 26. And, you know, in the snap of the fingers, it was gone. And I, I didn't know what was next for me. So after a lot of tears, um, I did some deep soul searching and I was like, you know what, while my career of dancing was awesome, I've really enjoyed working out to stay in shape. So I decided that I was going to become a personal trainer went back to school, got my personal training certification through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And right from the get-go, I actually started my own personal training business in downtown Chicago. And I'm not sure if you've ever been to Chicago, but it's full of high-rise apartment and condo buildings downtown. And, you know, the beautiful part about these apartment buildings is they all have gyms in them for the residents, but they don't have access to trainers. So I actually became good friends with a lot of the doormen in the buildings and I gave them all stacks of my business cards and they became my best marketing because, you know, the residents would get to know their doormen and they would ask like, oh, do you know any personal trainers that would come to this gym? And they would give out my card. Wow. So smart. Thank you. (laughs) Fast forward, you know, two or three years and I had a pretty full client load and it was great. But here's the catch. So many, again, mostly women, but some men that I was working with really wanted to lose weight and they were paying me good money for training, but they weren't successfully losing weight. And it's not because I wasn't a great trainer. It's because their eating was all over the map. And, you know, I saw them for maybe what? One, two tops, three hours a week. What were they doing the other hundred hours a week? What were they eating? What was their activity level? You know, there's so much more that goes into weight loss than just your exercise. So fast forward, I went back to school again for, you know, third time's a charm, I guess. I got my nutrition coaching certification. I started implementing that with my personal training and voila, my clients started losing weight. Um, you know, I ended up transitioning online when one of my clients saw her sister who lived out of state for Thanksgiving and, you know, the out of state sister had asked her like, oh my gosh, what are you doing to lose weight? You look fantastic. Like what diet is this? I need to know. And my personal training client said, no, no, it's not a diet. I'm just working with this trainer and she's helping me with my nutrition. 
So the sister reached out to me and she was my first guinea pig as an online client. Um, I really had no idea what I was doing. You know, how was I going to help this woman who lives out of state give her efficient workouts and help her with her nutrition? And that was seven years ago. Um, Fast forward to today, here we are, 2021, and I don't do any personal training anymore, actually. Um, All of our clients are fully online and live all over the world. And we help them, you know, create healthier nutrition habits and help them find ways of exercise that they enjoy doing. Wow. That's amazing. Thank I, you. What a transition in your life course. I know I also have not been a weight loss coach forever. I was a teacher for 12 years. So it's funny wow. how life, yeah, it's just funny how life steers you. Um, but I always feel for, you know, my husband watches a lot of sports when you see an athlete get injured or like you, you know, dancing, getting injured. I mean that your body is your tool. So I yeah. can't imagine how that must feel when your tool gets broken or injured and then, you know, you're left to kind of find a new path, but it sounds like you really ended up doing what you were meant to do. So Absolutely. Lemonade from lemons, I guess. (laughs) You can say that again. You know, again, I never thought, you know, when they ask you as a kid, what are you going to be when you grow up? I never would have thought a weight loss coach or even a personal trainer or a nutritionist. I mean, you know, I didn't fall in love with exercise till after college. So I never thought this would be my trajectory, but I really do believe that this is my calling. That's awesome. I know you. you say that you help people ditch fad diets and lose weight while enjoying, you emphasize the word enjoying, chocolate and wine. Um, And I say something similar. So I know that you probably get this question a lot or people will come to you. I know I had a post up one time and I was in a chair sipping wine and this person just kind of attacked me and was like, but you can't lose weight while drinking a glass of wine. What are you even saying? You're spreading all this misinformation. And it just made me really sad because I'm sure you find as well that a common misconception is that you can't lose weight while enjoying things you like, you know, food, uh, alcoholic beverage every now and then. Can you touch on that more, how it is possible to lose weight while enjoying treats and indulgences every now and then? Absolutely. You know, what comes to mind hearing you say that, the first thing is it just makes me so sad for that person that reached out to you and thought, truly believed that they weren't going to be able to be successful if they enjoyed a glass of wine. And again, it brings me back to one of my favorite quotes about obviously weight loss, but also life. And it's that, you know, eating one piece of pizza has never caused anyone to gain weight, just like eating one salad never causes anyone to lose weight. What we do as humans consistently most of the time is so much more important than what we do occasionally. And again, like I said, this definitely applies to weight loss, but also every other facet of life. I'm sure you know this, you know, one night of staying up too late and not getting enough sleep isn't going to ruin the rest of your life as an adult and you're not going to be sleep deprived forever. But if you do that consistently, you will be. And so... I just can't stress enough that, again, one glass of wine won't sabotage any long-term results, just like one piece of pizza and one cookie won't. But if those glasses of wine and pizza and cookies start adding up, that's where people tend to struggle. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you deal a lot with people who come to see you who have learned this sort of all or nothing mindset from different diets out there. I know right now Whole30 is a big thing. And I tried it once just to kind of see what it was all about. But it was so stressful to me because the Whole30 rules are essentially if you get off track one day, even with just one little ingredient you're not supposed to allow from their rules, then you have to start over the 30 days again. And I just saw somebody post that they started it yesterday But then today they had to restart because they didn't realize that one of the ingredients that was in something wasn't approved by Whole30. And it's just, it really is kind of an extreme, you know, and some people love it and that's great for them. And it gets them, you know, to be in a different space mentally. But I do think with programs like that, there's all or nothing mindset comes along. And then kind of like you said, you have to help break people out of that? Do you find that a lot of people come to you and that's kind of one of their main struggles 
oh my goodness, yes. Like yes times a hundred, almost every client that we work with has some sort of similar story or some sort of struggle with that black and white thinking. Because like you said, um, you know, I, I really am not on here to bash any diets, but I do believe that mentality of failure comes with so many diets. You know, if you're doing Weight Watchers and you go over your points, you failed. If you're doing keto and you eat carbs, you failed. Um, yeah. You know, if you're doing Jenny Craig and you don't make one of your little meal plans, you failed. There's just so many diets out there where it truly is, like you said, you're either perfect and on track or you make one mistake or you enjoy one indulgence and you failed. And, you know, the reality is that's just not how life needs to be. That's not having a healthy relationship with your body and that's not having a healthy relationship with food either. Right. What are some of the other common misconceptions that people have about weight loss, would you say, aside from the ones we touched on? I think another huge misconception is that, and I want to share to all your listeners, this is said from the bottom of my heart with the most love, but so often I talk to people who um, believe that their metabolism is broken or, you know, there's something, I'm in a calorie deficit, but I'm not losing weight. And so what I want to bring awareness to is um, so often people eat more than they realize. And what I mean when I say that is I'm just going to use a generic example. This is not off of anyone as a person, but you know, someone might come to me and they might eat an egg white and veggie scramble for breakfast and, you know, a salad with grilled chicken at lunch. And let's say, um, I don't know, lean pork and asparagus and broccoli for dinner, which are all very healthy meals, but they not might not be aware that they're also eating a bite or two of their kids mac and cheese at dinner. You know, they're walking by the candy bowl at work three times and grabbing a little Snickers bar each time. You know, they're finishing up their children's ice cream that they don't eat for dessert. So I just think that another big mistake is that so many people just lack awareness about their actions. What's really going on? Are they actually aware of not only the quantity of food they're eating, but also just the portion sizes and the quality of food they're eating? Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. What would you say are some common misconceptions about working with a weight loss coach? Oh, this is a great question. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that we are going to shame or judge your decisions. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, there are so many times that we start working with new clients and they end up not telling us the truth of what happens. And what I mean is it's not that they're intentionally lying to us, but it could be, for example, if they're a client that's tracking macros, they leave out, like I mentioned to you, those bites of macaroni and cheese, or, you know, maybe unfortunately they have a stressful evening and that leads to nighttime snacking and they don't write it down because they're afraid that we're going to judge them or that we're going to be disappointed or we're going to be ashamed of them. And I really want to nip the misconception in the bud that we are here as support systems and we never judge our clients and it never comes from a place of disappointment or shame we truly want to understand what's going on and more of the context around your actions so that we can help you change. Right. Yeah. I've heard that before, just kind of offhand comments of, oh, well, you, you wouldn't get it because you don't ever crave sugar or you don't ever want to, you know, eat all of the Mexican food. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> I feel that all the time. I mean, Totally. Food is delicious. I love food. And yeah, nachos are my favorite. And I'm always going to want nachos. <laughs> There's oh, nachos great. in front of me. Yeah. So it's finding, I think this word balance is thrown around so much in moderation. And it can be really frustrating when you're trying to follow these diets and then you're hearing that word balance and trying to figure out what that looks like for you and what does that even mean. And then the cravings come in and so I do think it's easier said than done. And, you know, it takes a while to develop a healthy mindset with food and to kind of figure out what works for your body individually. But yeah, I love me a chocolate chip cookie and a platter of nachos. And I don't Girl, think I don't see that changing. 
<laughs> I know. I think you're you're an Oreo aficionado. Am I right? Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, if you you give me any flavor, and I can tell you my review of it because I love <laughs> Oreos. Oh, they are funny. amazing. I have a package of Oreos right now. Actually, there's always a package of Oreos that lives in my pantry. It does not mean that I eat it every day, but there's always some Oreos if I choose to enjoy them. Right. Well, so you touched on, you know, being more aware of how much you're actually eating and portion control. What tools do you recommend that somebody could do if they heard that and they thought, oh, I think that's me. I have the spoonful of this or the handful of that every day. What do you recommend just kind of a tangible action step for that person? Sure. So the first thing that I would recommend is, again, going back to that word awareness, is keep a food journal for a couple of days. And, you know, so often when we say food journal, the first thing that comes to mind is my fitness pal. And yes, that is great for a lot of people, but that's not the only food journal. You know, if it's easier for you, you can simply get a notebook and write down every bite, lick, taste, and meal that you eat. Or, you know, everybody has smartphones these days. Maybe you'd keep a photo food journal. But I think the first step in understanding how much you're truly eating is awareness and having some sort of means of recording what that looks like. And then once you have a solid couple days worth of data or even a week or two worth of data, you can start to play around with that data. You know, okay, how much am I eating? Is there a time of day I'm eating more or eating less? Are there some less nutritious foods that I'm snacking on that aren't really worth it to me? And, you know, from there, you can start to create a game plan that can help you get a little closer to your goals. Right. I love that. What are some other, aside from just kind of these more mindless kind of snacking or grabbing handfuls of things, what are some other nutrition mistakes you find that many clients are making when they first start working with you? Sure. Um, I find one of them, um, looking at mindfulness in a little bit of a different way, is people not eating. No, I'm sorry. People eating when they're not hungry or Mm -hmm. eating too quickly. And this is a big one because, again, so many diets that people have tried in the past before working with me, they don't ever talk about hunger levels. They don't ever talk about fullness levels. And so I think one of the biggest mistakes is, you know, again, people will be so gung-ho and so excited to get started, which is beautiful, but they'll be chowing down their meals so fast that they end up overeating and thus, you know, destroying the calorie deficit they're trying to create because if they just would have slowed down, been a little bit more mindful, they would have realized they needed less food to actually fill up. Mm -hmm. I read that book, The Blue Zones, years ago. Um, And I think, you know, some of what is talked about in there is really worthwhile and some of it people kind of debate. But one of the things that really struck me is that in these areas of the blue zones where there's the most centenarians in the world, people generally eat until they're 80% full. Yep. And in America, we tend to eat until we are 100 or 120% full, getting as much food in there as possible. But of course, doing that, eating until you're 80% full also means you're mindful of just how full you are when you're eating and you're eating slowly and you're eating with community and you're focusing on the flavors and the textures. And it's just kind of a more enjoyable experience, I think, in many places, rather than just shoving in a lunch in 15 minutes between calls or whatever that we do here. Um, so as yeah, I recommend that as well, just as much as you can to kind of cultivate awareness around not even just your whole dietary pattern, but just each meal or bite. Absolutely. And it's so funny you bring up the 80% full because, again, some of our clients track macros and others work on habits. We really believe weight loss should be customized to you and your life. And with our clients that focus on habits, that's actually one of the habits that we do work on together is 80% full. And, you know, something that I found with so many people is we as humans can get caught up in that number. Like what does 80% full feel like? We don't know. Like, am I 70% or am I 90%? I don't know. So one different way of thinking about it, which might be useful to any listeners out there is to ask yourself with each bite you're taking, 
am I satisfied before I hit the point of feeling stuffed? Mm. And another way of, again, thinking of that 80% full is just reminding yourself, I want to stop when I'm satisfied enough, but before I start to get to that point of overfulness. Right. And so much of it, I think, of what you're saying comes back to feeling, because you don't just want to look great. You also want to feel amazing. And eating to the point where you're completely stuffed, that doesn't help you feel amazing or look your best, probably. So no, they go hand in hand. Absolutely. What mistakes do you find that most people are making in terms of exercise when they first start working with you? Oh, this is a great one. And I've got a couple mistakes. I think one of them is trying to do too much too fast. And what I mean is, you know, especially, you know, we're recording this right now in what, month 10 or 11 of the COVID pandemic. And so many people being at home has really led to a sedentary life for a lot of us, you know, especially the people out there, we see it with our clients who were used to even walking around the office and walking from the parking lot to their office. And, you know, so many of us now just literally walk down the hall or down the stairs and we're sitting there all day. So you can't expect yourself to go from a place in your life where maybe you are a little more sedentary to trying to bite off like five 45 minute workouts a week. You're setting yourself up to fail if you bite off more than you're ready for. So one of the biggest mistakes I find is, again, that same thing. And it's so hard because I understand how gung-ho and excited people are when they start this journey. You know, you have the best intentions in your mind and in your heart to do those five workouts a week or four workouts a week. But if you're not at a place where your body can safely do that, or if you don't have the time constraints right now for that, you're setting yourself up to disappoint yourself. So the first mistake I see is just trying to do too much too quickly. Hmm. What's the next mistake you find? Next mistake I find is trying to do something because you're influenced by others or by social media. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, let's say that Susie Q, your neighbor down the street lost 50 pounds by training for a half marathon. So you think in your mind, well, I must train for a half marathon in order to lose weight because that's what worked for her. Or, you know, we see so many things where, oh, you must do um, this type of workout if you want to get a six pack. Or, you know, if you don't ever do a squat, then you're never going to have toned legs or something like that. And there's just so much misinformation out there about the types of workouts that you need to do to be successful. And we've seen it time and time again. You know, I will not lie that there are definitely benefits to doing strength training, especially when it comes to weight loss. But we have had our fair share of clients who have lost 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds without ever lifting a weight. And, you know, what I think is most important at the end of the day is that you find a way to exercise that you enjoy that you're going to do consistently long-term. And, you know, if you're someone who loves doing yoga, if you know that's your passion, then let's build on that, you know? If you love taking your dog for walks, well, let's build on that. How consistent can we get you doing those dog um, walks? So I think that's the next mistake I see is, again, trying to figure out what to do based on what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I hear that. I belonged to a gym for most of my 20s and hated every single time I went there with a passion. It was like I would have to take my gym bag to work with me. And at the time I worked in New Jersey. So I was living in New York state and then I would go to New Jersey for work. So I would take my colleagues would joke that I would bring my gym bag to a totally different state and then go back to New York just because I needed to have my gym bag with me when I passed the gym on the walk home. Otherwise I would never go because I hated it so much. Um, And so I don't see myself now that I realized I don't have to belong to a gym I don't think I'll ever belong to one again, or who knows, maybe someday I'll enjoy it. But I do think, you know, I say you can't hate what you're doing. You may not always jump out of bed super excited to do some form of exercise, but you shouldn't absolutely hate it. There's probably something that you would enjoy a tiny bit more 
out there. And maybe it's just not something you've tried, but we're in the age, right, of the Peloton and Beachbody and all of these trends that are just sweeping social media. So I think if you love bike riding, if you love the Peloton, that's amazing. But if you bought a Peloton and you hate it, you don't have to do that. (laughs) Yeah, totally. There are so many different ways. And, you know, you brought up a great point, Brooke, that especially with technology as it is today, there are so many different types of workouts that you can find on YouTube or you can stream an instructor video on whatever, you know, you can hire private instructors on Zoom to teach you how to do things like Zumba or, you know, there's so many different choices out there that I really do believe that there is a way to safely move that will be, how do I say this? Like you said, it might not be the world's most exciting part of people's lives, but at least something that you'll semi-enjoy. Right. Yeah. Well, kind of piggybacking off of that, I know you've kind of touched on the term macro counting and we've talked about these kind of fitness fads. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about some of the buzz terms out there. Sure. The first one being a one size fits all diet. Is that a thing? Yes. So what a one size diet or one size fits all diet really is, is it's really these generic diets like a, oh geez, a, Optavia or a Jenny Craig or I mean Weight Watchers has a little more flexibility but basically what it's saying is that you know it doesn't take any bio individuality into account so it doesn't take your lifestyle factors your age your activity level into how it creates your own unique nutrition program it just says basically this is our program and you as the user you as the person trying to lose weight must adapt to our program and our rules versus something like macros you know we set the calorie limits as well as the protein carbs and fat limits different from person to person depending on their lifestyle factors Mm-hmm. So yeah, can we talk a little bit more about that? The other buzz term that I see is counting macros or counting calories. So do you yep. find that that works for most people? Or you said some people you focus more on habits? Yes. So the first thing I want to say is I think any strategy will work for you if you do it consistently enough and if you're patient enough. Mm-hmm. Now, are all strategies sustainable? No, and that's the issue with so many of these fad diets, you know. But I truly believe in terms of just like the weight loss parts, anything will work if you do it consistently enough and if you're patient enough. I think that macros versus habits are good for different types of people. And, you know, when you're tracking macros, it is a little bit tedious. You have to write down everything that you're eating in MyFitnessPal, which can be time-consuming and tedious. And so if you're someone who's on a tight time schedule or if you're feeling overwhelmed or, you know, if the thought of writing everything down feels daunting, then maybe focusing on habits, which is just truly focusing on implementing one change at a time for at least a couple of weeks might be more beneficial for you because it's digestible and it's so much easier to focus on just one change as opposed to trying to track everything. Right. What about, um, I see a lot of people, you know, we kind of touched on this too, but posting about 80-20 for balance or 90-10. Do you think, is that something you kind of subscribe to and recommend to your clients? And what does that even mean? I absolutely subscribe (laughs) to the 80-20 belief. And What it means is we're talking about 80 to 90% of the time choosing foods that are healthy, nutrient-dense, whole, unprocessed foods. So I'm talking about lean proteins, fruits, vegetables, complex carbs, so your whole grains, all sorts of less processed foods that contain more nutrients. And then 10 to 20% of the time, really allowing yourself to enjoy the less nutritious processed foods that we all love. So for me, like I mentioned earlier, Oreos always will fall in my 10 to 20% category. Things like Chips Ahoy will not, because to me, that's not a food choice that's really worth it. But 
I, I firmly do believe finding that balance is really going to be the key to sustainability. Now, something I do want to share is that, you know, there is no black and white column of, well, these foods fit into the nutritious category and these foods fit into the not nutritious category. You know, you kind of have to play around with what's going to work for you and you kind of have to use your best gut judgment. And what I mean by that is, you know, how would someone classify a sandwich? Well, maybe the sandwich has chicken breast on it, which is a healthy food, but the bread is processed. So do you consider that the 80% or the 20% or do you try to split it up? Or, you know, it really, again, I want to stress like it really comes down to the big picture if you're practicing 80-20 nutrition. So instead of trying to dissect every single meal, kind of having this mental conversation with yourself about like, okay, have I eaten mostly nutritious foods this week? Or how many processed foods do I think I've eaten over the last day or two? Mm -hmm. I like how you also said the term worth it, because that I think was one of the biggest game changers for me in kind of coming to this more lifestyle balance and moderation is like you said, the chips away aren't worth it to you. The Oreos are. I would say neither of those things fits into my worth it category, but like the best, best chocolate chip cookie from a local bakery is going to be tough for me to pass up. And so that's going to be something that I am always going, or not always, but a lot of the time going to purchase and savor and just truly enjoy. Um, Same thing goes like if I'm at a restaurant and there's a burger with some fantastic pretzel bun, that is probably worth it to me. But if I'm at a barbecue and it's the standard hot dog or hamburger buns that don't look that appetizing, I may just omit the bun and have the protein and a side of vegetables or something instead. But it really, I mean, it's so individualized and it's kind of this ever evolving, what's really worth it to me and what's going to be satisfying versus what are other people just eating? What am I not thinking about? It comes back to mindfulness, I guess, of just this is worth it to me. I'm going to love the heck out of this and this other thing and not so much. So I'm going to skip it. Absolutely. And I think you really hit the nail on the head because sometimes clients we work with will joke with us, but they'll say like, but Sarah, I love food. Everything is worth it to me. Like I love it all. The chips, the cookies, the pretzels, the chips, ahoy, the Oreos. I love it all. And the truth of the matter is we know in our guts what is worth it to us. And the beautiful part is that what's worth it to us today might change tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so it's about being able to be honest with ourselves and, you know, be real. For example, when it's Mexican night at home, a margarita is worth it to me. But, you know, if I go to a bar on a Saturday night when COVID is done, obviously, when it's safe to do so, (laughs) I'm probably not just going to order a margarita out, out of the blue, you know? And so I think it's also being able to have the awareness with the context of what's going on in your life and to make the choice of what's worth it and to acknowledge that, you know what, what's worth it to me today might be different tomorrow and that's okay too. Right. And when you come from that mindset, you feel so much less restricted and so much more satisfied because the things that you're eating in the 10 to 20% of the time are just so delicious and satisfying that Again, you go back to lose weight while enjoying chocolate and wine. If chocolate and wine are the things that are worth it to you, then by all means, enjoy those. But then 80 to 90% of the time, you're eating the more health-promoting, nutrient-dense foods. Exactly. Real quick, I want to take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. ThriveMarket is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Something that you just brought up that really clicked in my head is it's so funny. And again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, the whole thing about fad diets is, 
the beautiful part about 80-20 nutrition is once you fully give yourself permission to enjoy any food that is worth it to you, you tend to crave and want it less. Mm. And what I mean is, let's say you're doing some fad diet that's told you that you can't eat dessert. Okay, so you're you're going so hard and you're telling yourself, I can't eat dessert, I can't eat dessert, I can't eat dessert. Well, what do you want? You're always going to keep wanting that dessert because you're telling yourself you can't have it. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, again, I've given myself full permission that I can enjoy one or two Oreos whenever I want them and they're in my pantry right now. But because I've given myself full permission to enjoy them when it's worth it, I don't need to go eat them every day because I know that when I want them, they're there. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Just kind of demystifying or making foods less forbidden. I don't know. I always think of in elementary school or something, we would do the little test of don't think of the Empire State Building. And then everybody would say, ha, that's what you just thought of. Like I put it into your brain or whatever. It's like when you tell somebody not to do something, that's all you think about or it consumes you. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I'm wondering, have you changed your mind about anything regarding nutrition or weight loss over the years? Like things you used to recommend to clients that now you've kind of done a 180 and realized with new research or just experience that you've changed your mind about something? I always love asking that question. I have actually. And I used to, in my earlier days, I used to believe that nobody needed a food scale. And why I say that is I have a fun little way with our habit clients of teaching them how to portion out their meals based off of the size of their hand. So my philosophy was, you know what? You don't need a food scale because I'll teach you if you want, you know, for lean protein, look at the size of your palm. Every meal, try to get one to two palms sizes of lean protein on your plate. If you were to make a fist, we want one to two fist size servings of veggies at each meal, you know? So I used to believe, well, nobody needs a food scale. And the more I've come and especially um, just seeing clients and the more research that I learn and about tracking macros and just being consistent and accurate and awareness, I find a food scale can be incredibly beneficial to understanding how much you're eating. And, you know, my go-to scapegoat food, because I love this food as well, but it's so easy to overeat, is peanut butter. You know, I am a huge peanut butter fan, but it's very easy for me to heap a tablespoon of peanut butter. And so, you know, if you're using that food scale, it can really help you be aware of, okay, how much peanut butter am I actually eating versus just sticking that tablespoon in the jar and allowing yourself to scoop out that massive heap. Hmm, Interesting. So just another kind of mindfulness technique, at least as you're learning portion sizes and the ones that work for you. Totally. And they're pretty cheap, I know, on Amazon because I fell into the whole sourdough bread craze during quarantine. (laughs) So I bought one because you have to have a scale to measure the ingredients for sourdough bread, which, by the way, I still have not made. Uh, But I do have a food scale. So (laughs) they're cheap on Amazon. I can tell you. They are. Yep, they are. Are there a couple one to two health habits that you recommend to every client who's just starting out on their weight loss journey? Yes. Um, one of the first is just to drink more water. And what I generally recommend is, you know, again, the research is so conflicting about what is the right amount of water. Clearly it comes down to everyone's bio-individuality and it comes down to people's exercise or even, you know, how, how much people sweat in their daily life. If you have a job in, let's say, I don't know why construction comes to mind, but you know, some sort of physical job where you're probably going to be sweating more while working, you're going to need more water than somebody who's sitting at a desk all day. So my general recommendation is a half ounce to one ounce per pound of body weight. So Mm. let's just use as an example, if someone weighs 180 pounds, we would probably recommend 90 to 180 ounces on average. Hmm. I love that. Any other habits for a starting out? Somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, I'm going to jumpstart my weight loss journey today. What else would be a good, just kind of one size fits all, not, not one size fits all diet, but one size fits all practice that could work. Yes. 
So going back to, again, I feel like the theme of this call has been mindfulness, but, um, you know, we touched on 80% full earlier, but another habit that I think is so important is only eating when you're truly physically hungry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first thing I want to acknowledge for all the listeners is I know that 2020 was a tough year for all of us. And I know that things like stress eating and bored eating at home and anxious eating were a struggle for many of us, myself included. And so one of the biggest habits that I think so many of us as adults have gotten away from is listening to our bodies for when we're hungry. And I want to go a step further and say, you know, it really is about feeling that physical hunger and not the emotional hunger. And the emotional hunger, I mean by the stress eating, the emotional eating, the anxiety eating. But, um, you know, we all think back, although let's be honest, we don't really remember this, but if you ever watch babies, um, I don't personally have children, but I have nieces and nephews, and it's so fun to watch them as kids because they're so in tune to their own physical hunger. You know, babies only cry when they need a diaper change or when they would like a bottle. You know, my five-year-old twin nephews are so good about like vocalizing when they're hungry and when they're full, even if it's a cookie in front of them, they'll just stop eating it. And so I find so many times as adults, we've either been programmed by society. So, you know, we'll tell ourselves, oh, it's 12 noon. I need to go eat lunch or oh, 8 a.m. It's time for breakfast. Let me eat. So one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give to anyone starting a journey is just start to listen to your own body. And you know what? If you don't get hungry for breakfast till 1030, don't eat till 1030. Or, you know, if you get hungry for dinner at five, then eat your dinner at five. Or, you know, if you get hungry at three, allow yourself to enjoy a healthy snack. But if you're not hungry, you don't need to eat it just because time tells us or just because it's there. Right. Or even it could change on a daily basis. One day you might be hungry at three. I know sometimes it was tough for me teaching because my schedule was determined by the school. So, you know, let's say lunch was at 11. That was kind of rough sometimes because I'd be hungry earlier or I wouldn't be hungry at 11, but that was the only window I got. But it is interesting now working for myself and kind of comparing when I eat now to when I ate then. And it was so determined for me on times of day and not really on hunger levels. Um, Totally. So I think, you know, whenever possible, I totally agree just to kind of check in. And again, it's just getting in tune with your body and it's different for all of us. Totally. And something that I want to piggyback off of what you just said is, you know, obviously the beautiful part about hunger levels is they are something that as adults we can manipulate. And what I mean by that is let's take that teaching example where your lunch was at 11. If we can't change the time of your lunch, so how can we make you hungrier at the time you know you have a break? Does that mean, you know, eating either a smaller or an earlier breakfast or does it mean eating an earlier dinner the night before or, you know, so I think too, obviously so many people do have those time constraints. How can you use those time constraints to your advantage? Yeah, that's cool. I like to kind of talk with my clients about taking some of the emotion out of food and just really like you're talking about keeping a food journal or looking at different constraints you have in the day and kind of making yourself your own experiment, your own end of one experiment. And I think it's kind of cool when you look at it that way, instead of beating yourself up over, oh, I had a handful of cookies when I got home, I was so hungry. Just kind of looking at that as a scientist would and asking, why was I so hungry? Did I not eat enough for lunch? Should I be eating more protein earlier in the day so I don't crave that handful of snacks right when I get home? But I think it's just so liberating when you look at it that way instead of, oh, there I did, there it was again. I had a handful of treats that I didn't want. That's just me. I'm a failure. You know, all of that negative self-talk versus, huh, let me take a look at this and see why I did that and what I could do differently tomorrow. Yes. I cannot stress how important that is. And I love that you brought that up, Brooke, when you're really able to look at your actions, both positive and maybe the ones that aren't so positive from a place of learning versus a place of success and failure, you know, you become unstoppable when it comes to losing weight and reaching your goals. And what I mean is, you know, 
okay, let's say that you were super proud that you made a salad with grilled chicken and a ton of veggies for dinner. Ask yourself then, uh, celebrate that, but also ask yourself, what went well here? How did I set myself up for success? You know, did I bake the chicken ahead of time so it was ready when I was hungry for dinner? Or were the veggies pre-chopped? Or, you know, what did you do to help set yourself up for success? And then for those moments where, you know, you might not feel the best about a slip up or an action that wasn't in alignment with your goals, again, like you said, let's learn from that. How could you do things differently if that uh, circumstance were to happen again? Yeah, so cool. Well, I told you you were going to talk for about 45 minutes, and it's already almost 50 minutes because I'm just having the best time. I could talk to you, I think, for hours, but I I know you have things going on. Um, So I would love to ask you the final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, I love this one. I think that... Making the health investment means putting yourself, and I mean like mentally and physically first. And I want to stress that I don't believe it's being selfish and I'm not referring or not suggesting you, you know, walk all over everybody else in your life. But I truly believe that making the health investment means finding the physical and mental time, space, and energy to truly take care of yourself so that you can live your best, healthiest life possible. Because I see it time and time again. You know, when you're able to take care of yourself from a mental health and a physical health standpoint, you're able to show up so much more vibrantly in every other aspect of your life. Mm, Couldn't agree more. I love it. Where can listeners follow and find you? So they can find me on Facebook, Strong with Sarah, or you can find me on Instagram. Um, The handle is at strong.with.sarah. Awesome. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And again, just can't thank you enough for being here and for such a wise, enriching conversation. I know I learned a lot from you, and I think listeners will have learned the same. Thank you so much for having me, Brooke. I loved this chat and hoping we can do it again soon. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.